Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jamie Baines. Today's guest is John Burkett, also known as the Crime Insider on Richmond's local CBS affiliate, WTBR. John's been with WTBR for almost 21 years. He got his start in broadcasting while he was in the Navy and worked briefly in Baltimore as a broadcaster. John was born in Chesterfield and considers the Richmond area his home. I met John while I was a homicide detective in Richmond, and we remained in touch even after I retired. I asked John to come on the podcast because he talks to people in and around Richmond, and more importantly, people talk to him because they trust him. I've mentioned issues I have with the media in previous podcasts, but I was very specific and said not all media. I choose not to paint anyone nor any profession with a broad brush. John represents the kind of media I think we all want and deserve, fair, impartial, and trustworthy. Before I begin the interview, I want to let you know that I recorded John while he was on the phone, so the audio quality of his voice sounds like he's on the phone, while my voice sounds clearer. I'll be experimenting with different programs, equipment, etc. as time goes by, so bear with me. I'll also be doing in-person interviews in the future as well, so that will improve the audio quality. But without further ado, here's my interview with John. Hey John, welcome to the podcast, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. Hey, can you introduce yourself? Yep, I'm John Burkett. I work for uh, WTBR CBS 6. I'm also known as the Crime Insider on the Streets. And that really has to do with my background with law enforcement. For over 20 years, I've covered crime uh, in our city and surrounding counties. And uh, I tend to get a little bit more information than other reporters get. So that's the insider part to the, to the crime title. <laughs> and I know. I know that for a fact. And I'll go over that. <laughs> In a, in a few minutes as well. What, uh, John? Are you from Richmond? Born and raised, man. Born and raised. Okay. Yeah, I grew up grew up off of uh, Koala Road in Chesterfield County, and uh, I don't live too far from there now. And it's uh, I've kind of stuck to my roots. I joined the Navy when I was 18 years old. Uh, I actually did broadcast in the Navy. I worked for the Armed Forces Network overseas in La Madalena, Sardinia, Italy, and then I came back and worked my last year in the military at Fort Meade, and during that tenure, I moonlighted at a TV station in Baltimore, WBFF, and uh, because basically the, the military was so far ahead with technology that I knew if I got out of the military, I'd have to go backwards with uh, some of my editing skills and so forth, so I had to, to keep fresh on those skills, so I went and moonlighted at a local TV station on top of my Navy job. And how long did you do that for, the moonlighting gig with uh, up in Baltimore? Uh, just about a year. And then uh, the Navy called up and said, hey, man, it's either time for you to uh, uh, sign up for some more time or, or get out and, and find your way. And uh, <laughs> they gave me about a month, and uh, I put some resumes out, put one to NBC12, put one to CBS6. CBS6 called me back first, and uh, they offered me the job, so it was coming home. And you've been with them for 20 years, is that right? Almost 21. September 29th, be 21. Man, I remember. I think you just recently posted a picture of yourself. I th- think you were covering the uh, the Michael Vick and the dog story, and then yeah. you showed a picture, and I didn't even recognize you hardly. <laughs> that's because I've eaten. That's because over the last 20 years, I've eaten myself. No, <laughs> no, no that, that's that's not. You got a beard going on now. You look. You look actually tougher. Back then, you know, <laughs> back then you kind of, you look baby faced, and that really wasn't that long ago. How long ago was that? Was that a uh, well, 2006? Vic was, yeah, Vic was 2006, so I was six years into my career. Funny story, 
when I first came on the air, my news director at the time would make me wear glasses, fake glasses, <laughs> not even prescription, <laughs> to make me look older. Because he was afraid that everybody would think I was 12 years old reporting on TV. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you that that picture of you, man. I know. I'm sure nobody hardly recognized you. It was like, whoa, that yeah. cannot be John Burkett. It cannot be. Well, it's funny, man, because that picture looks a lot like my young, second youngest brother Jesse, who's also in the media business. He's up in uh, D.C. as a photographer at WTTG, and uh, I got him into the business. He used to work at WTVR. But uh, it looks just like him. And everyone's like, well, what is Jesse doing covering <laughs> my back? Now, don't you, you have a sister as well, right? And didn't she do some, uh, um, was it uh, Forge or something like that she did? It was Sarah, my sister Sarah. I've got two sisters. But my sister Sarah was recently on the uh, program uh, Tough as Nails on CBS. That's it. That's it. And, yeah. And she, that's the, you know, that's uh, the program where they take blue-collar workers and, and put them through challenges and, the winner gets a Ford pickup truck and, and, and 200 grand. And they also do team challenges. Well, she was the only female in the finals, and she, she finished third. We're, uh, we're very proud of her. She's also a former police officer for Chesterfield County. She oh, I had, with, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, she served with Chesterfield for, uh, I want to say, 12 years. She took Gary Bureau's old beat. You know, when Gary was murdered down on Toddy Street, Yes, uh, Sarah, Sarah was two academies away, and she actually took that beat when uh, when uh, she got on the road. Okay, <clears throat> now and I guess along those same lines, you've always seemed to be on this not on this well, I guess you can say on the side of police officers, um, yeah. because police officers trust you, and you know a lot of times it's hard to get get the trust between the media and the police and that kind of stuff. What what do you think? What is it about you? that police officers like and trust so much that they feel they can talk to you. Because a lot of times, you, like you said, you get the inside stuff that other reporters don't get. And I think, and I think you'll agree, the reason you get that is because um, you're, you're trusted. Yeah. Well, well it's, it's, it's trust, and it's, it's they know when it comes down to it, if someone says, uh, hey, John, where did you get that info? I can say what info. Hey, you know, you're you're not getting a name out of me. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and uh, and obviously, if someone gives me information uh, that I need to run up the pike, then I, then I'll run it up and, and source it up two or three times to make sure I'm absolutely correct, and then uh, and then go with it. Uh, it's not like something where someone says, "Hey, John, I heard this, this, and this," and then I just go with it. I mean, you you, I've, I've got to source it up a couple times to make sure that I, because. Between it's it's almost like the game the, the the game of can when you're in kindergarten, you know, words can be lost in transition mm-hmm. from 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 can to can. So you got to make sure that every that the juicy parts and the big parts are 100 percent correct. Have people tried to deceive you before? Have they given you something that they want you to put out there, and you researched it and you found out mm, not so much. I don't think they did it with the intention to deceive, but I've had some give me information where I've, I found out that it was something like that, but it wasn't totally like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, it's, and that's why it's a good thing to get uh, two or three people to, to uh, you know, verify stories and make sure. And I, and I try, I tend to go up in the ranks and, you know, if, if someone in patrol is a source, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they tend to sometimes give me information that's not 100% guaranteed, so then I'll go and ask 
someone in the specialty unit that they're talking about, hey, have you heard about this? This is what I'm hearing. Is this legit? And will they will they confirm it or will they deny it or does it just depend on the person you're talking to? Depends on it depends on who I'm talking to, man. I mean, it's, you know, some say uh, some will say something like, "Well, you've got really good intelligence," or some will say, "Yeah, that's it," or some will just say, "Hey, man, I, I can't, you know, I can't tell you." Yeah. <clears throat> now you say you're a Richmond, you're a Richmond native, Richmond area native. Yeah. Um, do you still love Richmond? Do you love the Richmond area? I do, man, and it's. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, Jamie, it's uh, the last couple of years have been pretty heartbreaking. Uh, there are certain parts of Richmond, and you know, I won't get into it and politicize it, but there are certain parts of Richmond I can't drive through without wondering what what direction we're heading. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's tough to see what Richmond police did back. It during the Rodney Monroe era, mm-hmm. turning things around, and man, guys, the police officers were loved in the communities, man, and, and the information was flowing, and and community policing was the top dog, and this, and now what it is, it's just it's total, uh, you know, chaos out there, mm-hmm. and and it's just to the point where you're like, you got four police officers showing up on roll call. That's not safe, man. That's dangerous. Yes, and people don't know that. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, people don't. They'll see they'll see a, a tagline or a story, and they won't believe it. They say, "Well, that's impossible. There's no way you could have two rich, two police officers or four police officers at a roll call covering a precinct of the city." And it's absolutely true. We've talked to many it's people. True. It's <clears throat> true. And and the, the thing about it is, man, it's, it's going through the years. And, and covering crimes and ending up with some of these crime scenes, you maybe become friends with, with some of these police officers, and some would become almost like family to you, you know, because you're at the same place during tragic times. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to see is one of my friends get hurt because there's not enough manpower out there. And the community, too, because I know that the community talks to you, and I know they they respond to you, and... You know, if you believe, if you watch some of the some of the some coverage, and I make sure I'm very specific that it's not all media because that is not true at all. Um, right. If you believe some coverage, like oh, you know, the community hates the cops, they don't want the cops there. I, what I found, and I would imagine what you found as well, because you talked, people probably talk to you also in the community who don't talk to us, is they want the cops there. They like their cops there. They do, and then and I'll piggyback off of that by saying. There's a lot of times that nowadays uh, folks are afraid to speak to the police, and, and, and that happened back early in my career as well because they don't want to be considered snitches or whatever else. They don't want to be seen visibly talking to an officer on scene, but there are plenty of times when a major crime happens in the city. Uh, you know, I'll post something on Facebook or whatever, and I'll get an inbox message saying, hey, John, I'm so-and-so. I live over in Mosby. Can you please tell a detective this? Don't give him my name, but I did see this, and this is where they need to go. And I know that's the truth because you've done that for me when I was a homicide yeah. detective. So they'll tell me that, they'll tell me that kind of stuff. It happened recently, man. I posted a, a burglary suspect's photo on my Facebook page, and obviously the photos were very good quality, clear as day. And I said, uh, anybody recognize this guy? Well, of course, the comments get rolling. Some, you know, people are trolling on there, making fun. 
And someone wrote the comment, I bet his mom and dad are proud. His dad commented and said, I am very proud. <laughs> and next thing you know, they're catching the guy and getting warrants for the guy because his dad gave him up. Right. <laughs> right. Maybe unintentionally or intentionally or either way. I don't know, man. It's just... Nothing, nothing surprises me, bro. I can tell you that. <laughs> do you um? What do you what do you think the best hope for Richmond is? I mean, I I, I still enjoy Richmond. I know you do too. What do yeah. you What do you think? What can Richmond or what can Richmond do to kind of turn itself around? Um, to maybe get back on track if you think it's off track. Well, if if you had your your druthers, if you had your choice, what would you what advice would you give? Well. I- the advice I give is as a guy who's 44 years old and, and seeing the way that our youth act in society, mm-hmm. uh, I would give the advice to parents that when you start uh, hammering down on these kids and let them know they're not going to walk all over top of us. Because right now there's a mindset out there that I'm 13, 14, I'll do what I want when I want and get away with it because the judicial system will say, oh, he's just a teenager. What does he know? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you're seeing, Jamie, a lot of these homicides just this year alone have been committed by kids that are 17 and under. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's disheartening for police officers. I know that work the beat and work these cases. They go in front of a judge, and a judge says, no, nah, give him an ankle bracelet and a $600 bond. I agree, because it seems like the judges are still, and the court system is still years and years ago, where they don't think that teenagers, as young as they are, can do these just heinous, awful crimes. And they can, and they are. Well, these kids are getting their hands on guns, and not only are they getting their hands on guns, they are are tweaking the guns to make them become automatic weapons. And it's it's scary, man. It's, It's a scary society that we live in. That just like yesterday, I was at a vigil, and I was talking to a guy who had pulled some time in the pen, and he's a pastor now, mm-hmm. and we're just just having a, an honest conversation. And he asked me a question. I said, "You know what scares me most, man?" I said, "What scares me most is right now there's 150 of us out here, and we're sitting ducks. What is preventing someone from coming by and spraying this joint up with lead?" Mm-hmm. You know, and he said, "That's exactly what I'm talking about. The mentality of these kids." Is that it's a video game and there's a reset button and there's not. You're at, you're a hundred percent right. <clears throat> then it doesn't seem like they think life, about it. Yeah, in life there is no reset button, and you've seen it over and over with Marquia Dixon, the eleven-year-old girl that was shot in the park for no reason, or the nine-year-old girl that was shot in the park for no reason, the eleven-year-old boy who was also injured for no reason. You know, these kids are just out enjoying playtime in the park. Mm-hmm. They don't need to worry about bullets flying over the head like it's training at Paris Island. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. So. Well, look, man, I'm going to let you uh, um, push your – you got a book out, right? You co-authored yep. a book. What is that book, and what is it called, and what's it about? I appreciate that, man. I, I co-authored a book with Steve Nails. Steve Nails is a retired captain with Chesterfield Police. And Steve and I have known each other for 20-plus years. We worked on some major crimes together, he and the – investigator aspect in the, in the uh, uh, public relations aspect and, and, and I as a reporter and we just remained friends throughout the years and we wrote a book together and it's about you know major cases that either he's covered uh, in, as an investigator or I've covered as a reporter or maybe a little bit of a mix of both but it, the, the book is uh, it's called Bearing Witness to Evil and it's filled with stories from the metro Richmond area 
And like I said, it's either he investigated or I covered it or a little bit of both. But we give the facts of the case. And what's unique about the book is there's something called the story behind the story. And that's when we talk to folks who are part of that crime but have never talked before. But we they, they talk to us for the book. Uh, for instance, the Harvey family. The woman who brought back Stella Harvey to the Harvey residence prior to the, 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 the massacre mm-hmm. in the South Side, and, and she was with her daughter, so she talked to us about 14 years has passed, and she still thinks about it every day. And it's, it's a uh, hair-raising interview. I mean, some of the stuff that she told us, she like, you know, golly, if, if she would have just picked up on some of the, the clues that Kathy Harvey was dropping, maybe Stella would still be alive. And for people who don't know, the Harvey family was a family who was massacred in their home by initially three people who held yes. them in there, massacred them. It was a, a wife, a husband, and their two girls, and yeah. then tried to set the house on fire. And I think, didn't they kill, they had killed somebody prior, maybe in northern Virginia. Yeah, well, and, Ricky, Ricky Gray and Ray Dandridge both had. They, they, they both were tied to a woman in either Culpeper or northern Virginia. And, and then, then they killed their code, yeah. kind of their co-defendant, who helped them with her, with her stepmom and stepdad. That's right. So they massacred another family too. So, but that is in your book. That that's in the book. And where can people get your book, man? Uh, it's on, on all the major platforms. The, the the if I can steer them to bearingwitnesstoevil.com, that's that's the best place because that's where I get more of the royalties. Obviously, I kind of got myself there. <laughs> I got you. And I'll put that in the description of the podcast as well, um, yeah. where they can find your books. Well, hey, so, man. BearingWitnessTable.com, Amazon.com, uh, Books A Million. Uh, what's the other bookstore? They, they all got it. They all, But you want me to go to BearingWitness.com. That would be your preference. That, that's my preference because that's where I get more, the most royalties from. Okay. Now, I know people welcome to hit you up on Facebook if they do know about information about crimes in Richmond and they want to be anonymous. They know that you're the man to go to, that you're, you'll let the police know, and you won't let the police know their name. Yes. And, and, and it basically, it's, it's happened just in the last month where a, a detective was like, dude, I really appreciate that because I didn't have that. And that solidifies. It happened on there's a shooting the other night of a 13 year old girl, and I know a woman who lives on Berrywood because I covered her brother's murder. She said, "John, I've got this video, my ring camera, of a car coming, backing up, turning its lights off, and going to that house where that shooting took place." I said, "Give me the video," and then I sent it to detectives. And then you left her out of it, right? Or did she want to be left out of it? Yep, she wanted to be left out of it, and I, I said, "Okay." So I got the video, gave it to the detectives, and they're like, man, we really appreciate it. And that's all people need to do, man. I mean, if, I think if we all come together. That's and, it, man. you got to work together. Yeah. And it, I think it, it goes beyond race, sex, gender. It's just everybody looking out for each other and just trying to make the best life we can. Yep. If you if you go, if, you, if you're a music guy, you listen to, to Tim McGraw. He's got a new song out called Undivided. Listen to that. Listen to the words. And it, it's it, it's exactly what we need in this country. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Can you come back and talk to us again? Always, man. It's good talking to you, Jamie. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. All right, bro. Holla at you, man. All right, man. Later. Bye. That's it, guys. 
I appreciate John taking time out of his schedule to talk to me. Before I end this, I'd like to bring up one incident in which John brought something to light, and he did it without revealing his source. I'm sorry, without revealing his source, which, by the way, wasn't me. A Richmond police officer arrested a city employee for either a disorderly charge or a drunken public charge. I can't remember precisely what it was. During the course of this arrest, the person being arrested hurled racial slurs at this officer and said that she tells people who look up to her that they should hate the police. Mind you, she's saying this while using racial slurs against an officer who was just doing her job. This didn't sit well with other police officers. So one of them made a call to John to let him know. John made sure that a reporter was in court when the arrested person was before the judge so that reporter could hear the abuse heaped upon this officer during the arrest. The story got out and that employee was terminated. That's the kind of guy John is and why I respect him so much. Remember, treat everyone the way you want to be treated and ignore ignore those that push hate. Take care of each other. Thanks for listening.